like to sing this morning remind me of these two verses, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When life's burdens get so heavy and it seems I'm all alone, I cast my care on Jesus and come boldly to his throne. I find his grace sufficient as his promises I heed. For his very life he sacrificed, and he lives to intercede. He is the Lord of lords, and when he speaks, winds and waves obey. When Jesus whispers, peace be still, then darkness turns to day. And as I'm trusting in my Savior's words, doubts and fears all cease. And beneath the shelter of his wings, I'm at rest in perfect peace. I will seek for souls in darkness, Calvary's love with them to share. Empowered by his spirit, I will follow anywhere. For I know whate'er befall me, my Lord is in control. And as my mind is stayed on him, perfect peace he gives my soul. He is the Lord of lords, and when he speaks, winds and waves obey. When Jesus whispers, peace be still, then darkness turns to day. And as I'm trusting in my Savior's words, doubts and fears all cease. And beneath the shelter of his wings, I'm at rest in perfect peace. I'm at rest in perfect Children ages four years old through fourth grade, you can go ahead and be dismissed for Children's Church. Four years old through fourth grade. <clears throat> this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter number 11, continuing on our series through 
the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 11. There's going to be a lot of introduction before we get into the text, okay? So I'm just going to forewarn you with that. But uh, when, we, when I came to this text, uh, th- a thought came to my mind just about how God seeks to grow believers within the church and just trying to look at this text and see what methods were in place, how, God, how men interacted with each other to prepare people for ministry and different things like that. And oftentimes it's, it's joked by Christians and by college professors alike that I didn't learn that in Bible college, right? Have you ever heard that before? Okay. There are a lot of things you don't learn in Bible college. Um, J.B. Godfrey, he was the president for a period of time of BIMI, but uh, he was also the father-in-law to John Cloud, if you guys know who that is. Okay, so, but J.B. Godfrey once told this story about when he was a missionary in Africa. So he was down in the river in, uh, getting ready to baptize a, a group of people who'd gotten saved at their church in Africa. And he had his waders on. He was sitting in the water waiting for everybody. All the people were lined up on the shore. They had their baptismal robes on and everything. And, you know, pastors, when you're baptizing, we baptize men, we baptize women, both together, right, you know. And so they're, they're coming one by one and getting baptized in the, in the river. And all of a sudden, there's this lady comes up, and she's walking towards him. And split second, her baptismal robe comes flying off, and she walks into the water to get baptized. Okay, so Bible college did not prepare him for that, right? Okay, so, and, and really the thinking behind it was, in her mind, she's thinking, I don't want to get my clothes dirty, so off come the clothes before you get into the water to get baptized. But there are a lot of things that Bible college seminaries, they can't really prepare you for in the ministry, and, and so when we, when we come to looking at how to prepare people for ministry and how to get, uh, prepare people for leadership within the church, there is oftentimes some limitations to what, the, to what our graduates have and to what our ministers have because seminary education cannot give you the practical experience and it cannot give you the relational experiences that ministry requires of people who are working in the ministry. But... I think there is a model that can be joined with Bible college slash seminary education that will help out, that will benefit, and it is a biblical model, as we will see from our text, to prepare people in some of these areas. And also, when you think about a Bible college, usually if you're going to go off to Bible college, that requires a lot of money, and it requires leaving your job, it requires moving, it requires commitment, and usually if you're going to do that, it's because you plan on going into ministry full-time. But is everybody called into full-time ministry for the rest of their lives? No, that's that's not the case, right? What about the people who aren't called into full-time ministry? Do they not deserve an opportunity for education, for training, for preparation? There there are ministries within the local church that are not full-time types of ministries. And I I think people need to be prepared, they need to be taught, they need to be trained for that type of ministry. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, we've, we've talked about this before. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Well, why were these men given to the church? For the perfecting or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Literally, that's in the work of the ministry, to train people up to build them up into the work of the ministry for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ. So one of the roles of a pastor is to raise up men and women within the church who can do ministry 
for the glory of God. That's one of our essential roles, according to Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And every Christian is called to minister in some way according to their spiritual gifts. So shouldn't there be a method within churches to help edify, to help train people who are supposed to be doing ministry within the local church? And I, I think there is. I think there's a biblical one. And I think oftentimes we, we hope that people will just casually catch on to what we're trying to teach them. And we don't make it a, a, an effort to do this on purpose, to train people for the work of the ministry. Now, as we think about this topic, we need to understand what is ministry. And Mr. Tillman talked about this a little bit in uh, Sunday school today. But the word minister is a Bible word that comes from the Greek, same Greek word as deacon. Okay? Which means to do what? Means to serve, right? Ministry is service. It is service of God. It is service of people. When we talk about ministry, our minds automatically jump to pastor or evangelist or full-time Christian school teacher, right? And that's what we think of as ministry. And those are ministries. Those are service, right? But ministry is more than that. Ministry is anything that we do to serve God and to serve other people. And as Brother Tillman highlighted in Sunday school, According to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, our giving is a form of service for God. It can include preaching, whether you're a pastor or not. It includes teaching a Sunday school class. It can include helping out with tiny trackers and truth trackers. It can help. It can include the nursery, Mrs. Ridley. Okay, so it can include nursery. It includes deacons. It includes those who do audio-visual system. It includes any of the service opportunities within the church. But it is focused on serving God and other people. And most of the time, when we need somebody to do a ministry in the church, we find the best qualified person to do it. And that's probably a good thing to do, right? You want the best qualified person to fill this slot. But there's a, there's a short-sightedness to that, in that people don't have an opportunity to grow into opportunities to minister, because there's nothing in place. Like, if you're not already qualified to teach a Sunday school class, what's your hope to ever become qualified to teach a Sunday school class? If there's no, no plan in place to make that happen, maybe you'll just pray harder and it'll happen. That's, that's not how it happens, right? There needs to be a system in place to grow people and prepare them to be involved in ministry. And that's, that includes, again, also another thing, soul winning is, an, is another opportunity. I think a lot of people, they don't go door-to-door -door soul winning. They don't witness to people because they don't feel confident in their abilities to do so. Well, how do you overcome that? Training, right? So there has to be some kind of a plan for training within the church. So if the pastor is supposed to equip others for ministry, how do we do that? Okay? Acts chapter 11 gives us a sneak preview into this. Okay? And we're going to get into it. Um, in Acts chapter 11, we see what is called mentorship. Okay? Now mentorship, a technical definition for mentorship is a relationship between two people where the individual with more experience, knowledge, and connections is able to pass along what they have learned to a more junior individual within a certain field. We're going to see this in Acts chapter number 11 and other passages. But mentorship, the difference between mentorship and a seminary education. First of all, mentorship is relational. Okay? Most of the time when you go to a college, you don't have a close relationship with your, your teachers because they're busy. they got things to do. Right? In fact, they don't even grade their papers half the time because they got so much to do. They have one of the RAs grade their papers, you know? But mentorships are relational. They're built on a relationship between a teacher and a student. And students are better able to trust the information if they see it in your life. 
They know that this is true, and you've spent the time developing this truth within their life. So mentorships are relational. They are also developmental. Another, aspe- uh, another limitation of seminary and Bible college education is while they can teach you how to do your devotions, they don't help you develop a walk with the Lord as in the same way that a mentorship could. There's a limitation to it. And so a me- mentorship style of education is focused more on developing spiritual habits and spiritual knowledge within the students over a period of time. Mentorship has an emphasis on spiritual formation in the life of the students and seeks to integrate knowledge of different topics. Mentorship is also more practical, okay? Now, we had preaching classes in Bible college, okay? You can get up and you can preach for how many times during your four years there? Maybe 30 minutes a piece, four times uh, during your four years, okay? Is that a whole lot of practice in, in preaching? Are you really prepared to get up and stand before people and preach? Not really. You know, a mentor, mentorship uh, gives us that opportunity. And this is why we joke oftentimes, co- Bible college didn't prepare me for that. It's all the practical things. I mean, how to run a business meeting, how to give an invitation, how to start off the service, okay? I didn't know these things, you know. It's not taught in seminary, not properly, not, not in an experiential, practical way. And mentorship, when it comes down to it, mentorship is the method of education that we see as a theme throughout the Bible. I'm not saying there's no place for seminary education because Acts chapter 19 gives us an example of a seminary, okay? There is a place for it. But mentorship is the default basic way of training people within the Bible. And so we're going to see that in three different examples before we get into Acts chapter number 11 here. The first example we have is in the life of Jesus Christ. Mentorship is the primary pattern of training found in the life of Jesus Christ. Think about his example. What did Jesus do? He called 12 men to follow him. Who were these 12 men? They were going to be the leaders of the church, the apostles. How did he educate them? He called them to follow him. In Matthew 9, verse 9, it says, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, why, why did they need to follow him? Why not just stay at Jerusalem, and whenever Jesus is in Jerusalem, he can come and teach them, right? Because they lived life together. They lived side by side together. And he trained them as they worked and and lived beside each other. Mark 3, verse 14 says, and he ordained 12, that they should be, why? That they should be with him, okay? Jesus called them to follow him. He also developed a personal relationship with his followers. John 15, verse 13 through 15, Jesus says, ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So he called them to follow them. He developed a personal relationship with them. He molded their thinking over a process of time. Luke chapter 6 verse 40 said, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. He wanted them to see his lifestyle, to be molded into the image of who he was. And so he led by example. He modeled service. John 13, verse 14 says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus did the things that he wanted them to do. He showed them how. He modeled that behavior before them. Having been a trainer at Chick-fil-A, this is important to me because honestly, a lot of restaurants fail in their training practices because they give people a video 
or a book and say, here, study it and do this, okay? That is not training. In order to train somebody, you give them the information, you model the behavior, but then you turn around and you let them do it while you observe to help correct mistakes. That's proper training. That's teaching philosophy right there, pedagogy. Okay, that's how you train people to do things. And Jesus did this. He modeled the behavior for them by washing their feet. And then he gave them practical experience. In Mark 6, verse 7, and he called unto him the 12, and what did he do? He began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. While he's there with them in, in, on, on earth, he sends them out two by two. This is basically practice ministry right here, right? He is giving them practical experience in doing the work that he's going to have them doing when he goes to heaven and leaves them behind, okay? So we have the example of Jesus was that he mentored the 12 apostles. We also have the example of Paul. Paul used this model primarily to train Timothy, Silas, and Titus, although, we, uh, like I said, we will still see a formal educational setting in Acts chapter 19. But Paul viewed his, his, these men, Paul, Tim, or Timothy, Silas, and Titus, he viewed them as sons. Philippians 2 verse 22 says, But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. These men that traveled with Paul, they literally traveled with Paul, like Jesus. They had a day-to-day -day interaction with him. And he viewed them as sons. He had a relationship with them. Paul also modeled behavior. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. And then Paul challenged them to mentor other people. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, And the other things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, what are you to do with them? The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And then we have Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2, the third example. Paul tells Titus, to challenge the young women, the older women, the old men, and the young men in Titus chapter number 2. But in Titus chapter number 2, in verses 3 through 5, there's an interesting uh, turn of phrase here. When, he, when he's talking to the older women, he says, And the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. And then he tells them to do what? To be teachers of good things, that they may teach who? The younger women. To be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be cha discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Well, how is that to happen? How are the younger women to know how to do these things? The older women are to teach them. Literal older women are to teach them. And this is a social responsibility they have been given in the church. Now, what is it that they are to teach? You could broadly break it down into these things. They are to teach them holiness and devotion to God. How to be holy women of God, right? They are also to teach them character. How to live their lives for the glory of God, okay? They are to give them practical guidance on how to love their family, their husband and their children. Because to be honest, loving you men is kind of hard, right? I'm a man, I can say that. So. And women need some practical guidance on how to show love. And men and women communicate love in different ways. So honestly, you women, you're probably coming in blind when you think I'm going to love my husband because you love the way you love, but you don't love the way your husband wants to be loved, right? And so you need that practical guidance on how to love your husband and how to love your children. They teach practical guidance on how to take care of their home, that they would be keepers at home, something that has to be taught, right? 
practical guidance for how to submit to their husbands, how to follow the leadership within the home. These are all things that are to be taught from the older women to the younger women, and it's just another example of mentorship within the biblical narratives that we have. Now let's go back to Acts chapter number 11, and let's dive into the text, and let's see how we see this going on in Acts chapter number 11. But first of all, we're going to look at the background coming into the text, verses 19 through 24. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 24. <clears throat> now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them, which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now these first two verses here, we see parallel to what's going on with Peter and Cornelius in a totally separate stream, not affiliated with any of the apostles. We have the gospel going out after the death of Stephen. And most of the Christians, they preach to the Jews only, which we talked about last time. But in verse number 20, some of the men who came from Cyprus and Cyrene, when they came to Antioch, they came across the Grecians. The Grecians were Greek-speaking Gentiles, okay? That's the contrast that's being made here between the Jews and the Gentiles. And these disciples from Cyprus and Cyrene, they decide to speak the gospel to the Grecians, to the Gentiles, and preaching, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And so things, things are happening here in Antioch where the gospel is going out to the Gentiles now. And in this text, we see there's two different words for preaching. The first word here is the word laluantas, which just means speaking. And then the second one in verse 20, when it says preaching the Lord Jesus is euangelizo. Basically, what these people were doing is they were sharing the gospel with anybody that they met. They were, they were gossiping the gospel is another way of, of phrasing this. They were giving out the gospel to the Jews and to the Greeks. Again, I've talked about this over and over again, but the, the responsibility to preach the gospel is not something that is limited to the workers, the full-time staff members within the church. These are everyday Christians. They're fleeing persecution. And, they're, and everywhere that they are going, they are speaking and they are giving out the gospel to the people that they are, they, they are meeting. And because the gospel has taken root in Antioch, and the church is starting to grow, in verse number 21 it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This, th these are the results, because they started giving out the gospel, the hand of the Lord was with them, and they grew. Okay, we've talked about this method of church growth here. You've got to give out the gospel to people. That's how, the, that's how churches grow. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And so the church in Jerusalem gets wind of what's going on down in Antioch. Tidings come in verse 22. It says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So they, they hear what's happening in Antioch, and they send Barnabas to go and to check things out. Now the last time we saw Barnabas, Barnabas was assimilating Paul into the life of the church at Jerusalem. You remember that? Barnabas was the one who took, Paul had gone to Jerusalem and the church said, no, you can't come in here. We don't trust you. We don't think you're who you say you are. We don't believe that you're a Christian. That's, that's how the church was reacting to Paul. And so what did Barnabas do? He took him under wing. He built bridges with other people in the church. 
And he broke down those walls of separation between Paul and the other people in the church. He advocated for Paul. Assimilated Paul into the life of the church. That's the last place we saw Barnabas. Now in this text, we see Barnabas being sent down to, to Antioch. Actually, it's probably up, up to Antioch to check out things, much like Peter had done when uh, the gospel had gone to the Samaritans, right? A new work was happening, and the apostles want to go and have somebody check it out and verify it. And so Barnabas sees all these things that are happening. He sees the growth that's happening here, and he gets involved in the work there at Antioch. But the work was too great for him, right? It was too much for one man to do. To be honest, the ministry is too much for any one man to do. The ministry of the church is not something that one person can handle. And so what does Paul do? In verse uh, <clears throat> in, the, in the next few verses, it says in verse 25, then departed Paul to Tarsus. Why? For to seek Saul. He goes out and he gets Saul because he knows he needs somebody to help him out in this work of the ministry. <clears throat> now Antioch, Antioch was one of the, was actually one of the third, sorry, not one of, was the third most popular, most populous, most influential cities within that time period. Behind Rome and behind uh, Alexandria, you had Antioch. So it was a great place for God to stage his ministry to go out through the rest of the world. And so there was a great need within this city. And God wants to raise up men and women who will serve and be leaders within his church. That's what we see ultimately here. Because the work is too great for one man. Uh, Barnabas goes down to Saul and he gets him out of Tarsus. And the word seek here me, uh, has the implication that there was some difficulty finding him. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like, there's Paul, I'm going to grab him and we're going to go. He had to go find him. It was difficult. Possibly because he may, might have been disinherited once he became a Christian. I mean, think about the family that Paul came from. If Paul was the way he was, what were his parents like, right? And I imagine he probably was not welcome back when he came back, okay? And so Barnabas has a little bit of difficulty finding Paul, but when he does... He takes him, and they go down to Antioch. And so we see the mentorship program of Barnabas starting in verse number 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Here we have really the beginning of Paul's formal ministry. That's what we're going to see here. But how does Paul start out in ministry? How does he get his start? He gets his start because another godly Christian came alongside him and said, hey, come work with me. Let's, let's do this thing. Let, let's work together. And, and he, he teaches him through a mentorship type of relationship. Barnabas acknowledged his need for this. It, this is the thing. Barnabas had a need. Barnabas had a need for a mentor. And I think a lot of times we, we come up with the excuse, I just don't have time to do this type of thing. But honestly, we don't have time because we haven't done this thing. That's, that's what it comes down to. And, and people need mentors in their lives, and we need to be, be mentoring people in our ministries. And that's one of the greatest motivations for, for mentoring is that it will help with the work of the ministry. So Barnabas takes the necessary step. He goes and he seeks out Paul. And to do that, it's going to cost him. It does cost him. It costs him the time to go and to initiate this relationship. It costs him also the effort to begin this type of ministry with Paul. But it is, isn't it interesting, though, that for quite a while, 
we see these two men together in everything that they do for a long time. They're working side by side in the ministry until Paul becomes strong enough and independent enough, he branches off and starts his own ministry. But how do we see the, this mentorship relationship in Acts chapter 11? First of all, Paul was joined to a qualified teacher. Barnabas sought Saul, and Barnabas mentored Saul. And, it, and it, in the text, it gives us a description about Barnabas here. It says, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Barnabas was definitely the type of man you wanted to learn ministry from. He was qualified to do it. And he had already been used in so many ways, right? We, re we remember reading how he gave, he sold everything he had, and he gave it to the church to be a blessing to the poor in the church. Later on, we read that he assimilated Paul into the life of the church, and now he's being sent, he's being trusted by the church of Jerusalem to go to Antioch and to evaluate the work and the ministry that's going on there. But Barnabas was not just a skilled teacher. He was a godly man. Barnabas was, according to verse 24, a good man. A good man. This is the only time that phrase is used in, in the book of Acts. It's the only, only person that Paul and Luke call a good man. Barnabas was a good man. He was a man filled with the Holy Ghost. He walked with the Lord. He had God's hand upon his life. And he was a man of faith. He trusted God. He depended on God. And God was using Barnabas. Mentorship should be between an experienced godly Christian and a less experienced growing Christian. That's how things work, right? You don't place a carnal Christian in charge of a mentoring relationship. And this makes logical sense, right? If you want to know how to build a house, who do you go to ask? Do you go to the kindergarten teacher? Say, how do I build this house? No, that's not how it happens, right? Okay. If you want to know how to build a rocket, do you go to my wife, Katie, who is a stay-at-home mother, and ask, how do you build a rocket? No? Katie, can you tell me how to build a rocket? Maybe a, a vinegar and baking soda rocket, okay? So, but not, but not a rocket that's going to reach the moon. You go to people who know what they're talking about, who are qualified to do it, right? And Barnabas was the right man to train Paul, not just because he had the skills and experience, but because he was a godly man who walked with the Lord. Barnabas didn't just give Paul theoretical knowledge, which is oftentimes the limitation of Bible colleges. He modeled a lifestyle for Paul. Paul's style of ministry is going to be drastically influenced by this man, by Barnabas right here. Above all other men that were involved in his life, Barnabas was one that was used. So we see, first of all, that mentoring should be between a godly, more experienced Christian and a less experienced learner Christian. Mentorship is intended to be done within the church. We see here it says, and it came to pass, verse 26, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves within the church. This happened within the confines of the church. The church family ought to be involved in the life of these growing trainees that are, that are being trained up to serve the Lord. Church ministry is best taught by the church, right? Honestly, they're the ones doing the work of church, so they're the best ones to teach church ministry. And the, the, honestly, there, this is one of the limitations for seminaries that aren't based out of a church in some form. The work, uh, the work that they give is more theoretical. It's not as practical because they don't have that church atmosphere involved. 
And so I think mentorship is a practical way to train people within the local church and for people who want to be servants within the church. Churches are intended to be like nurseries, okay? And I don't mean like Mrs. Ridley's nursery. I mean like a tree nursery, okay? A tree nursery, what, what is it? It's a, it's a greenhouse, and you have somebody who takes care of the little tiny seedlings. And what do they do? They water them. They fertilize them. They give them the right soil. They give them all the conditions that they need to grow in. And that's what churches are intended to be like. And so when those, those trees in the nursery, they get to be, I don't know, maybe yay high, then they sell them. And they go off and they live in the, in the hard, cold dirt of the regular earth out, outside of the nursery, right? But the goal of the church is to grow Christians to be self-sufficient, mature believers involved in ministry in their daily lives. So we see that mentorship takes place within this example within the confines of the church. But also mentorship takes time. How long were they there? It says, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the churches and taught much people. They were there for, the period, for an entire period of one year. Okay? Mentorship is not about degrees. It's about growth. It's, about reprodu it's not about reproducing answers on a test. <clears throat> it is about being impacted personally by the truth of what you are studying. Mentorship seeks to develop the individual and all individuals grow at different rates. So what that means is it can take different amounts of time. Are you going to be perfectly trained and ready for ministry in four years because every other student is perfectly ready and trained for ministry in four years, theoretically? No. Mentorship allows you to take that time. We cannot expect all Christians to be in the same place spiritually within the church. You can't set a time limit on this thing. You don't expect Levi, my son, who is five, almost five, to behave and act like Chloe. If you do, you're a fool, okay? Levi is a five-year-old. Chloe is a 12-year-old, okay? There is a difference in maturity, in age, right? And there, there's a difference in age between them, and we need to allow opportunities to grow, you can't expect perfection from a baby, and mentorship allows you to do that. Now, because Paul and Barnabas had this type of relationship, Barnabas stepped over and he was involved in the work of mentoring Paul in the ministry, what were the results? In verses 26 through 30, we see the results. First of all, um, at the end of verse 26, it says, and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Believers were called Christians here. Now, prior to this, believers had been called believers, they've been called saints, they've been called disciples, the church, followers, brothers, Nazarenes. In secular literature, you read them being called followers of the way, okay? But this is the first time that they are actually called Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian is literally a little Christ, is it an imitator of Christ. The, the impact of Paul and Barnabas's ministry was so great that when the lost looked at these believers, they said, oh, they're a bunch of little Christs. They're trying to be just like, like Jesus, right? And to them, that was a scornful thing to say. But for us, it ought to be something to strive for, to be like Christ, to be little Christs. And because Paul and Barnabas had this kind of an impact on the church, the ch more of the people of the church were being called little Christs. They had that association with Jesus Christ, okay? So one of the results of a mentorship-type ministry is that you better perpetuate a way of life, thinking, and a way of ministry. It isn't blind conformity, but because you have invested your life in showing rather than in just teaching why we do certain things, trainees are more likely to follow in your steps. 
perpetuate a lifestyle. And these people were perpetuating a lifestyle that was established by Jesus Christ. They were acting like Jesus Christ. They were acting like Christians. And they got that reputation because of this type of ministry. The Church of Antioch also became a supporting and a sending church. There is a need that arises in these verses. It says here in the Church of Antioch that in those days, verse 27, prophets from Jerusalem came unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So this need arises. There's going to be a famine, and it's going to affect all of the world in the, the Roman world that they knew in that day. And this famine was going to have devastating consequences. And the prophet foretells this beforehand. And this church, the church of Antioch, is so strong, is so spiritually oriented that they are, they are responsive to this need. They take it on themselves to send aid to the church of Jerusalem. Not the other way around. Jerusalem's not sending money to them. They're sending money to the church at Jerusalem. So Antioch, the church at Antioch had grown not just numerically, but they had grown spiritually to the point that they could become key players in Christianity and the spread of the gospel. Later on, we're going to see Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey. Who sent them out? It was Antioch. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was Antioch. Antioch has become a solid, firm church by this time because of this type of ministry within the church. So those are, those are the results right there. And it says, Then the disciples and every man according to his ability determined to send relief unto the brethren, which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by whose hands? By the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And from this point, until they're split later on, these men are inseparable, working side by side in the work of the ministry, and God uses them greatly. I'd like you to tell you a story to illustrate why and how this type of ministry can be beneficial in the church. Um, back in the 1700s, there was a man named John Gano. Now, um, you may not know that name. My father-in-law is like an expert in Baptist history, so he knows this name, okay? But John Gano was an early Baptist preacher in the 1700s, the colonial days of America. And back then, Baptists couldn't go to Bible college. Not really. There, it, was, it, was not, it was not easy. One, because Baptists generally tended to be the poorer people. Two, because before the Declaration of Independence... Baptists were one of the most persecuted groups of people in, in the early colonies. All these pilgrims that came for religious freedom, they didn't give it to anybody else. The Baptists were persecuted in all colonies except for Pennsylvania and Rhode Island. And so how did they get educated? They couldn't go to Harvard and Yale. I don't know when they were started, but anyways, they couldn't go to these big box school educational institutions, right? They didn't have that opportunity. So in, in this early Baptist church planning movement, Baptist pastors mentored younger men in the faith in the work of the ministry. <clears throat> and so what we have here is that education was handled in a different way than most denominations traditionally handled it. Baptists kind of pioneered some of this work at the time. John Gano himself had been mentored by another man named Isaac Eaton. And so he took that model to train other men in his church. And Gano would often spend hours talking to individuals one-on-one -on -one about their spiritual needs and instructing them in theology and in church practice. And whenever he traveled on his preaching tours, he would take younger men with him. That, and he would give them responsibilities and opportunities to practice what they were learning. 
But most of all, he set a practical example of a godly, faithful, humble servant of the Lord. Now, of his trainees, there's one that a lot more people know, Hezekiah Smith. Hezekiah Smith was actually a uh, chaplain closely associated with George Washington. But from John Gano's ministry, because of this model of ministry, 13 churches were planted throughout New England and Maine out of, out of that church that he had started. And that, that is the potential benefit of a mentorship type of ministry within the church. It prepares people to go out and to give the gospel and to keep giving out the gospel and to reproduce ourselves. One of the purposes of the church is to reproduce itself. Okay? And that's where mentorship comes into play because it imparts a way of thinking, a way of living, and a philosophy of ministry to another generation. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll have a time of invitation tonight, this morning. <clears throat>